This is Victoria of TheUnleashedHeart.com, and you're listening to Grieving Voices, a podcast for hurting hearts who desire to be heard, or anyone who wants to learn how to better support loved ones experiencing loss. As a 30-plus year griever and advanced grief recovery method specialist, I know how badly the conversation around grief needs to change. Through this podcast, I aim to educate grievers and non-grievers alike, spread hope, and inspire compassion toward those hurting. Lastly, by providing my heart with ears and this platform, grievers have the opportunity to share their wisdom and stories of loss and resiliency. How about we talk about grief like we talk about the weather? Let's get started. Thank you for choosing to listen to Grieving Voices today. Today is the Takeaways and Reflections episode where I'll be talking about episode 58 with Sherry Dunlevy and 59 with Faith Wilcox. Sherry had lost her infant son uh, 29 days after his birth and also her beloved pet. And so she talks about each of those losses and the impact they had on her as well as her experience of going through grief recovery and how that changed her life. And Faith talks about the loss of her 13-year-old daughter. She was diagnosed at, at the age of 13 and died 365 days later in her mother's arms of cancer. And the curious thing about that is, you know, she didn't know she had one year to live when she was diagnosed. But I think it's an important question to ask ourselves. What would I do if I knew I had one year to live? Starting with Sherry's episode, she brought up a very important topic that I want to bring up in this takeaways episode. And she talked about her, this desire that she had when she lost her son. She fought that time that followed, she was really struggling with why people were, why she felt abandoned, why people weren't there for her that she thought would have been um, or should be. And she said she came up with a few reasons why this happened. One was um, it hit too close to home, that if it happened to them, thinking about that makes them, you know, it's just too sad for them. Another reason why she came up with why people abandoned her was they never had to deal with a situation like that before and they just didn't know what to say. Also, people really want to say something but don't know what to say or are afraid to say the wrong thing and they want to help and they want to do something but they just don't know what to do. And so it's easier to do or say nothing than the wrong thing. And one thing I would like to add to that is that I think also too people are often consumed with their own grief, consumed with what's going on in their own lives. Maybe not even grief at the time, but just the, just all, especially women or head of households, you know, you, you wear all the hats. And I think sometimes we are, I know my, me personally, I can just say I have days where it's just, I feel so scatterbrained. I can't, it's hard to focus. My, my attention is pulled in many different directions. And, and so trying to then hold the capacity for compassion and empathy and, um, trying to 
hold that space for somebody else in a really trying, difficult, emotionally challenging time, um, I'm struggling in my own mind. I'm probably not the best suited person to sit with you during those days. But also I think it comes down to then communication. If I am feeling that way, if I am, because here's the thing too, that causes in, in that situation, that would cause me grief is it's like, I really want to be there for you. I just, I just can't right now. This is what's going on. This is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm experiencing, you know, and I might feel like it's nothing in comparison to what you're feeling, you know, the person that just, you know, is going through a loss. But all the same, um, how do you then be there for somebody who you really want to be there for, and yet just you don't have the brain capacity to do it? And I think it's where we tend to complicate things. We overcomplicate things. And sometimes we think that we just need to do these big, grandiose gestures or these big um expressions of our love and care but sometimes it can just be a simple I don't have the brain capacity today I I hope I do tomorrow but in case I don't know that I'm sending you love know that I'm sending you a hug maybe you put that in a card and you mail a card to that person or maybe you send them a fruit basket um or maybe you you know it can be something small a small gesture. Um, maybe if they have a pet, maybe it's like, okay, I know I need to like disconnect a bit. I need to like reboot my brain. Um, but maybe you don't have a pet, right? And so maybe that person that had a loss has a pet. Hey, can I walk your dog? It'd be good for me. It'd be good for your dog. And it would help you out, right? So I think there's just, you know, sometimes I think we have to think outside the box and maybe a little bit creatively about how we can be of service to other people when we really, really want to, but no, we're just not there yet in full capacity, but still want to do a little something. And if you are feeling in full capacity, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically, all of those things where you can be there for other people, then it's like, by all means, balls to the wall. I mean, put all your effort and energy into that because you wouldn't be surprised how life-giving that can be for somebody else and for you as the giver of your time and energy. And it doesn't even have to be, you know, a financial expense to do anything special. Um, So yeah, I just encourage you to kind of, and think about maybe what you would like. I think um, that's also where we tend to overcomplicate things. Like, it's like, what would I appreciate today? What what do I what would I really like? What would lift my spirits, or what would be helpful to me today? And uh, and then do that thing for that person or somebody else who is going through a challenging time. Who you know they don't even have to be grieving something. Um, just maybe it's a challenging time, right? And, you know, all of this d- 
desire for Sherry to find why people were abandoning her is kind of what led to her writing her book, How Can I Help? Your go-to guide for helping loved ones through life's difficulties. And it is on Amazon. And I did link to her book in the show notes of her episode. So I do highly encourage you to check it out and to listen to that episode in its entirety. And I'm going to go through a few more things that um, Sherry and I had talked about. Um, Next, I'd like to share just how contrast really shows us what we do want and therefore it's a knowing of what we don't want and we had talked about during our episode about this post-traumatic growth and I had heard this term before but um, I, I think it's true in that when you go through something traumatic or you have a really difficult challenging experience loss of a loved one or you know just natural disaster, you know, things like that. We realize really what we don't want. Like that's like, this isn't working for me. That's not working. How, you know, we start to think about um, what we do want. And so there's a clarity that can come from grief. There's it's, it is a clarifier. It's brings to our awareness all that probably isn't working in our lives, things that we would desire to change, um, even if we don't know how or what that looks like, you can feel it in your body. Um, your body responds to what isn't working. If we just kind of tune in, we just take a moment to tune in to what our bodies are telling us because our bodies are always speaking to us, especially in grief, especially with that post-traumatic growth uh, journey that grievers, I feel, all grievers go through. And because there's no timeline to grief, I think that's um, that experience or that, that how long that takes is very different for everybody. I think it also relies on how open we are to learning something new to seeing something, to seeing our lives and other people from a different perspective. I think um, one of the beautiful things about grief is it brings us more compassion. We become more compassionate people, I believe. Uh, And so it's really leaning into that compassion for ourselves first, because it's really hard to give others compassion when we don't have it for ourselves. It comes back to that old saying, you can't pour from an empty cup, right? I think that is one of the lessons that Sherry had received in her grief and what made her seek out grief recovery help um, in the grief recovery method. And I just loved how she shared her experience in that she said it has the, it's the most amazing tool. And it was the best gift that she had ever given herself. And I would wholeheartedly agree for for myself personally, grief recovery has been the gift that keeps on giving. Um, I certified in March of 2019 in Austin, Texas, and I was just telling someone about it the other day. Um, And it really, really was you know, there's, I was telling this friend, there are pivotal moments in our lives, uh, times where we can think back and 
and think, well, that conversation or that bumping into that person or, you know, being in the right place at the right time or that choice I made or that decision, these, we, we can pick out these moments in our lives that are very pivotal to us that really change the trajectory of the rest of our lives where we understand and are aware that had I not done that thing, my life would not be where it is today or, you know, just, you know, a happenstance conversation. And I've had so many of those instances, um, just the perfect conversation at the perfect time or hearing something exactly when I needed to hear it or stumbling upon a resource or something that would inevitably change my life. And that was grief recovery, to be honest, which opened the doors and led to many other things such as Reiki and end of life doula and, and the clients that I've been working with in Reiki and what I'm learning, starting to learn now, um, to further my Reiki and deeper my practice there with crystals and, um, sound healing. And so it's, we evolve with our grief and we are always evolving with our grief. It's just truly sad to me. I feel sadness when I, when I see people, especially online, um, often in the grief community that feel like their life is destined to be how it is today. I was that person. I was that person. I thought my life was going to be how it was and I was going to feel how I was going to feel for the rest of my life. I did not see... (laughs) You can't see the label from inside the jar, right? I, I mean, that's another quote that's... But it's so true. Um, it's really hard to see a path forward when you've tried something and it didn't work or you've tried that thing and it didn't work or or you constantly feel like you're judged, criticized, or analyzed. Um, and that's where grief recovery is absolutely different. It's just different. It, the approach is different. Um, and it's individual because you're individual, you're an individual, like it is individualized to you, um, because your grief is unique to you. So, um, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on on a tangent on that, but grief shows us what needs to be healed. Grief is a clarifier it, and it will force you to evolve um, eventually, I think eventually, unless you are unwilling to surrender to what it has in store for you, the gift that it could give you. And I, I know I can just, I can just see the eyes rolling because when you are deep in grief, you do not want to hear how there's gifts in grief. You don't want to hear uh, that there is purpose to your suffering. Like you just don't want to hear that stuff. I didn't want to hear that stuff. Um, but eventually there comes a point where you just get sick and tired of being sick and tired. 
And like my friend Sherry said in her episode, and honestly, we had recorded that many months back, and I had never forgotten this phrase that she said, but when you lay, you decay. And if that's not true of so many other aspects of our lives, whether we, um, you know, let's say you have a cancer diagnosis, of course there are days where you just absolutely, all you can do is lay. But if you just laid, right, if you just laid and you never got up and you never had a reason to get up or you never tried to get up, you never even tried or, you know, um, granted, there's all kinds of scenarios and situations. This is a very blanket statement, but I can just, that that statement, layer decay, it's, it's like our bodies are meant to move and, you know, uh, I, I'm not even sure who said it, but a body emotion stays in motion. Like that's like the laws of physics or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think you get the idea though of where I'm getting to, but we must stay in motion. And that's true with grief too. Or you do get stuck. It's like you're in a sinkhole. Grief is like a sinkhole. It'll swallow you whole if you let it. Grief will force you out of your comfort zone and bring change whether you like it or not. The more you fight these changes that grief will bring and the more resistant you are to these changes, the more your suffering will persist. And that was no different in my grief. I had many days where I cried more tears than I thought I could ever possibly cry. And, you know, when you're crying from sadness, it's much different than when you're crying from pain. Just like Sherry had mentioned in her episode, she said, you will someday at some point cry so much that you've cried enough from the pain. And I agree. I think there comes a point where you just run out of tears. And crying from the sadness is much different. And I think it's once you actually process that pain and you work through that pain, what is left is the sadness. That doesn't go away. You know, grief recovery isn't about getting over or putting behind you the person that passed away or the relationship that, you know, is less than loving. Grief recovery is about addressing the pain. Any sadness you feel isn't just going to go away. There's still going to be that empty seat at the table. And just this week, as I'm recording this, on Tuesday, the founder of Grief Recovery passed away from cancer after three months of since his diagnosis. And for me personally, it's a very sad loss. It's a sad loss for all of us grief recovery specialists, I believe, because he founded something that is incredible, that has changed and impacted all of our lives. And I am in awe of the legacy that he has created and has left. And I feel deeply honored to be able to carry on his work and his creation. 
of the grief recovery method in the work that I do with my clients. Um, again, it's the gift that keeps on giving. And it was an incredible gift that he has given me. And um, so I dedicate this episode to John James, um, who created the grief recovery method out of his own pain and his own sorrow. And if you are interested in learning more about his story, I encourage you to pick up the book, The Grief Recovery Handbook. It is linked in the show notes. And if you don't see the show notes or don't go to the show notes, you can also find The Grief Recovery Handbook on Amazon. And I highly recommend it. Highly, highly. Moving on to episode 59 with Faith Wilcox. She shared her story of her 13-year-old daughter being diagnosed with cancer and actually passing away in her arms 365 days following her diagnosis. And this was over 20 years ago, and she just recently published a book, um, which is also linked in the show notes for episode 59. Um, It's called Hope is a Bright Star, and it was developed from her writings that she wrote at the bedside of her daughter and what she had learned throughout that whole process of sitting with her daughter in that year um, in and out of the hospital, um, chemo, radiation treatments, um, and also navigating being a parent to her her daughter's um, sister as well. And the dynamics of, you know, how, how do you function as a family when you have such a sick child and you're in and out of the hospital and I can't imagine what that's like. I cannot even imagine. I resonated with what Faith had shared about how writing was such a pivotal healing tool for her because I too have been writing since I was in my teens and I journaled, I wrote poetry, I found much comfort in expressing myself in that way and I think for a lot of introverts or empathic people, uh, we find that it is much easier for us to process our feelings. Um, We often do it internally, but it's a great exercise in expression uh, to give your feelings a voice in some way. And so for me, it was always writing, and that was the case also for Faith. And she gives some tips for other parents at the bedside of a loved one going through the same situation that she experienced. And I just thought when I was listening back and editing, I just thought to myself, like, had she known she had one year to live, would she have made different choices? What would she have wanted to experience? I mean, what a good question to ask yourself to get some fire under your butt. You know, if you had one year to live, you were told today, you have one year to live, what would you want that year to look like? I don't know about you, but I feel very overwhelmed by that question, to be honest, Uh, because I feel like there's so much more that I have to offer people and want to do in my life. I think like grief, that question is a clarifier. I have a pretty long uh, bucket list. I don't know about you, but I do have a bucket list. And I seem to be adding to it 
year after year. Um, but it is a daunting feeling, isn't it? To think if you were given only one year. Probably many of the things that you might have on your bucket list aren't things that you would probably prioritize. Maybe it's putting your feet in the ocean or feeling, you know, the beach sand in between your toes for the first time or swimming with dolphins. I'm reminded of a story of Jeffy, which is shared by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in her book, The Wheel of Life, a memoir for living and dying. Um, But she shares the story of this little boy named Jeffy who is dying of cancer and was sick much of his young childhood. And the, the last thing he wanted to do was more cancer treatment, more chemo and radiation. And he just wanted to go home. And so his family took him home. And when they got home, the one thing he wanted to do was to ride his bike. And um, actually, I share this. You'll actually hear the story of Jaffe brought up in a future episode. I had the privilege of having a conversation with Ken Ross, who is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's son. And I, I brought up that story because I was moved to tears when I read it. But Elizabeth's life is just one of many, 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 many stories. Um, She only, I think it was like 20 some years that she was actively doing her work, but it's like the, the amount of work, the amount of accomplishments that she had in that time uh, is just, I'm in awe. So anyway, I I just was made me think of that story of Jeffy when I thought of that question. What would you want to do if you had one year left to live? And turns out with Jeffy, he he knew intuitively that he had but a few hours at most. Um, in fact, he wanted to go home so he could die at home. The story was just, though, a beautiful example of just this little child, young child, taking ownership of the kind of death he wanted to have. And I just think, imagine if we had that kind of authority and and took that authority to have that kind of um, conviction when we're alive, right? Not when we're on our way out. And so, again, it just comes back to that whole question. Um, And my biggest takeaway from Faith's episode is, how would I want my next year to be if I knew I had one year to live? And so that's that's the question I want to leave you with today, to truly ponder on and think about. And what do you want your next year to be like? If you are grieving right now, What do you want your next year to be like? In case you don't know if it is something that you want to move forward working through your grief, I offer grief recovery both online and in person and both one-on-one and in a group. So if that's something that is of interest to you, I encourage you to please reach out to me 
at victoria at theunleashedheart.com or you can head to the show notes and there will be some links to my social media there and you can send me a message. I highly encourage you to do that if you have any questions um, or reservations about moving forward in your grief because you've got one life to live. And how about we make the most of it, right? Thank you so much for listening to today's episode, which, as I mentioned, I'm dedicating to John James, the founder of the Grief Recovery Method and the Grief Recovery Institute, uh, a program that has very much so changed my life and has been the gift to me that has kept on giving. Um, If you would like to learn more about this amazing program, I encourage you again to reach out to me, check out the show notes, and remember, when you unleash your heart, you unleash your life. Much love. From my heart to yours, thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it, because sharing is caring. And until next time, give and share compassion by being a heart with ears. And if you're hurting, know that what you're feeling is normal and natural. Much love, my friend. Thank you.